Well, welcome everybody to our fifth episode of the Apprenticeship Toolbox. This is a podcast where we're exploring the themes of our weekend messages and asking how they help us to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. And so I'm Matt, and I'm here with Graham. How you doing, Matt? Good. That was good and awkward. And uh, we're happy you joined us. So, Graham, um, let's just talk real quickly uh, about summer book recommendations. We're both avid readers, and maybe we've got some stuff that people might want to read. So why don't you give me a, a fiction book that you're, you've dug in the past or you're digging right yeah, now? Yeah, well, if you have never, ever read The Kite Runner, I, that's a high recommend for me. I, I've read other things. I haven't read a ton of um, fiction in the last couple of years just because mm-hmm. I've been reading other stuff. Um, but well, that, Masters will do that. That's too. still one of my all-time favorites, um, and I would go back to that and read it again. Mm-hmm. How about you? Uh, I don't read tons of fiction. Uh, I had the same master's issue, or when do you get to read? But one book I came across was a book called Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. And it's a story of a, an older pastor uh, who's writing letters to his seven-year-old son. So it's mildly frustrating in that there's no chapters. But it's just this incredible story of uh, what it means to be grounded in a place. And, yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. I think you've read that one, too. Yeah, Wendy and I listened to that one summer on a drive out to BC. Oh, man. And uh, it came as a recommend from Eugene Peterson. And thing that Eugene Peterson said was, you know, she freaks me out. Well, he doesn't use that language because Eugene Peterson Eugene doesn't speak that way. that way. But <laughs> he said she gets us. And mm-hmm. when you when you listen to or read the book, you realize, man, she has an inside track on what it means to be a pastor. It was mm-hmm. really, really strange to listen to that book. But, um, you know, it was one of those books that I found myself uh, laughing and crying to. Um, yeah, there definitely. was some real depth there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the, the audio book I listened to, uh, the, the guy's voice sounded like my grandpa's, and my grandpa just recently passed, so it was that much more significant, him describing, like, uh, the Midwest and thinking of my grandpa, a retired farmer from southern Alberta. Yeah, so yeah, so check that one out. It's Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. And then uh, do you have a fiction or nonfiction recommendation? My nonfiction recommendation for a summer read always is Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. He wrote that book in 1985 and he talked about the impact of television on you know various uh, various realms, various spheres of society, uh, everything from church to uh, politics to the classroom, um, and just looked at how television has impacted um, impacted the way communication um, is formed and passed on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found it fascinating. Now, as you read that and then think about you know the other forms of communication now, like social media and YouTube, mm-hmm. and how that's impacting us again, uh, it really is an interesting read. And the reason I bring that one up is because I loaned it to someone at some point and have never received it back. So if you're listening and you have my book please send it back or keep it as a donation. doesn't matter if you're really enjoying it. That, that is a brilliant way to try and get the book back. I've tried the Facebook, send it out to all your friends. It's so easy to, to lose books and just want them back, isn't it? So. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, my recommendation is, is an, a newer one. It's called Garden City Work, Rest, and the Art of Being Human. It's by John Mark Comer. Uh, and uh, I just found it to be a really great understanding of what does it mean to have a vocation? What does it mean to be a person of Sabbath? And what does it mean to live in this world that God's created that starts with a garden and ends with a city? And I just think it's a wonderful read to, to better understand uh, the, the Christ-like life. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a good read. I'll have to check it out, Matt. Yeah. Okay, well, Graham, um, your message this week was great, uh, this, uh, this idea of living by faith. And one of the big things you talked about in it was divesting yourself um, and how Paul needed to divest himself of a number of things. And I'm just wondering, when you talk about divesting yourself, what are you really referring to? You know, 
it, in my mind, it's easy to associate divesting with deconstruction. Mm. And uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and that idea of deconstruction comes up often, of how you have to deconstruct the ideas that you've had in the past. Or mm. uh, Lots of people talk about deconstructing faith and and yeah. coming out on the other side typically with nothing. But yeah. is that what you're referring to, a deconstruction? Yeah, most people deconstruct their faith and end up coming out, like you said, with nothing mm-hmm. and nothing to really hang on to. Um, maybe maybe they, they what they're hanging on to is some of their own their own ideas or things that they, they have formed or things that they uh, may have found resonates within the rest of culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they deconstruct what they believe is their faith, and then they come up with the faith that they have kind of customized for themselves. Right. Which yeah. is very, you know, very current thing to it's do. A, it's a postmodern idea. Yeah, it's a very cur- current thing to do to customize everything for yourself. So it's it's an interesting. And I'm not, you know, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't test uh, the things that we mm-hmm. believed in the past. We we all should do that. We all should go through um, our our systems of b- belief and test those things and mm-hmm. and continue to study and continue to deepen those things. So I'm not. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. So when Paul doesn't, th- when Paul divests himself, what he's talking about is he's done this uh, almost like an accounting procedure. So on one side of the ledger, on one side of the page, he's put down all of the things that he's counted to his advantage in the past. And uh, you know, we there are four things that I that I walk through: his religious heritage, his knowledge of the law, his reputation because he was known for persecuting cr- Christians, so he was known as passionate. Um, and his legalistic righteousness. And so mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of stacked all of those things up on one side of the page. And then on the other side of the page, he's talked about what it means to know Christ and to become like Jesus in his death and in his resurrection, somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And he's put those two things together, and he says, um, I actually count this loss, I count this rubbish, he uses I that think word. He had a rubbish. Stronger word than it's rubbish. a much stronger word. Are are you are you bold enough to say that on this podcast well, to our three listeners out we there? We would have an explicit tag beside if so. <laughs> we would. So we won't use that word. But, no. but it, it is a rather it is a rather harsh word. Um, some might use the word dung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's just this huge word word of contrast mm. to to talk about how how big what it felt like before is compared to Jesus is nothing, right? And right. So, yeah. yeah. And so he's looked at all of these things that, you know, and many people would say, this is, t- these are things that are to your advantage. And he's taken those things and said, hey, yeah, they really are nothing. They're, they're garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And so because those things have had such, played such an important role in his life and mm-hmm. in the de- development of his faith and his being and his understanding of God and his understanding of himself, uh, those things have been very important to him. And so therefore, I think he's had to make a break with those things. He's had to actually divest himself of those those things or else they would continue to, you know, hinder him mm-hmm. in his pursuit of Christ. And so he has to actually, like I use the terminology, backing the dump truck into his life and divesting himself of those things the way we would get rid of garbage in our own lives mm-hmm. um, so that he could actually, you know, pursue Jesus. Because what he saw in Christ. He saw a much greater, these are the things that he would have treasured in the past, but he sees a much greater treasure in Jesus. And so he has to release those other treasures in in order to pursue Christ. And so the idea of divesting, the goal would be to to take the things that are are so big in your life that would keep you from full apprenticing with Jesus and to just deprioritize them. And for some things, just to release them all together so that you can better be with Jesus, be like Jesus and do what Jesus does. 
Well, yeah, and you know, again, I've used I've used the Camino. The Camino taught me a lot of things. One mm-hmm. of them was to travel lightly, and uh, we found that there were three different places on the Camino where we actually took stuff out of our backpacks because they they weren't helping us, mm-hmm. you know. And in fact, they were hindering us. They were they were you know causing injury or those types of things. Your your back hurts, and it actually it those things actually were keeping us from reaching the goal our goal being mm-hmm. Santiago. And so we decided that we would divest ourselves of those things. We put them into little mailboxes and mailed them to our friends who lived in Madrid. And we would go back and pick them up later. So we didn't actually totally count them as lost. But <laughs> but we, we recognized that they were unnecessary and they were actually a hindrance to us. And mm-hmm. so we got rid of them. And they were probably good things, though? They were great things, yeah. yeah. yeah so and they things about, we thought were necessary. Yeah, it's not just about getting rid of things that are less important or things that you could do without on any level it's about really looking at and seeing what are things that are good what are things that i value and have have importance to me but at at the the journey of jesus just aren't worth it right now right okay okay so then you talked about um divesting yourself of, of your religious past and just wondering what if i don't consider myself an apprentice of jesus or i think of myself more in from the bent of secular humanism is there any point of divesting then? Is, is this something that's only useful for apprenticing with Jesus to divest yourself or what? Well, I think um, everyone has a worldview and everyone has a belief system. Uh, nobody, no, nobody uh, there's nobody alive today who doesn't believe in something. What about, what about an, a secular humanist or an atheist? Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that they still, they still have a worldview and they still believe in stuff. Mm-hmm. Almost um, to like a religious level, potentially even. Absolutely, yeah. So let's uh, you know, let's let's think about those four things. Okay. Do you want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. That'd be L- great. Let's think about those four things. We c- if you walk through those. Um, mm-hmm. So for Paul, um, he talked about his religious heritage, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you might say, in today's culture, um, it, it's interesting that if you are now born into a non-believing, non-faith home. And have had that kind of upbringing. It's it's something to be proud of. You're you're a bit of an anomaly if you're born into a into a Christian home, mm-hmm. um, and so most people would think that it's to your advantage to actually not been been born in a Christian home if you're a secular humanist, right? So, so much so that I've I, I know of Christian people who are choosing to really raise their kids without Christianity so that they'll choose for themselves. Like it's. A little outrageous. Yeah, except that doesn't really happen because by raising them in an environment where they'll choose for themselves, it means that they will auto- automatically choose the dominant worldview because that's the world that they live in and that's the exactly. information that they're fed. So totally, yeah. one way or another, you are discipling them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just what are you discipling them towards? Exactly. So when you think about that, so you have, you, you know, you, you can, uh, there is a religious heritage that you, you can see to your advantage. I think there's knowledge and understanding. There's... There's a, the particular dominant worldview, and um, you know, uh, if you don't hold to that worldview, uh, you're you're seen as being unenlightened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw somebody commenting on a Facebook post. It was a, a Facebook post about uh, some sort of faith issue, and uh, the, this person commented and said, "I I don't believe in myths. I believe in science." Hmm. And uh, so they were patting themselves on the back, so to speak, as an evolved person, and they got mm-hmm. lots of other likes on their on their Facebook post. And so, um, so here's someone who sees their knowledge and their understanding as to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and I mean, we we all want to have this being ahead of the game idea that we we're more advanced, we're more uh, beyond people before us, whether that's people who lived 
thousands of years ago or people who lived a year ago. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with that person who said, I don't believe in myths. I believe in science. That's a very interesting statement to, to make. Is, yeah. And I would, I would want that enlightened person to, you know, enlighten me. Um, it would be an interesting, it would be an interesting conversation. It would be, yeah. Um, and then there's reputation. And I think there's a lot of reputation building that's going on mm-hmm. in our world today. Um, and, and it's evident today that nobody wants to be on the wrong side of the conversation in our, that's happening in our majority culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so people are very concerned about the reputation that they have within the culture. Yeah, um, like I've heard the phrase, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history on this. Exactly. Often. Yeah, right. which just means I, I'm protecting my reputation here. Totally, yeah. Right? And, uh, and then there's the, the whole outward legalistic righteousness piece. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we live, in, we live in the day and age where we talk about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing these days, isn't it? Yeah. Why don't you explain a bit about what cancel well, ca- culture cancel means? culture really means that if you don't agree with the dominant cultural worldview, uh, if you don't ascribe to their particular morality, morality of the moment, mm-hmm. um, then, then um, you're deemed culturally unacceptable and, and you're shamed and ultimately canceled from the com- conversation so that you no longer have a voice in the conversation because of something you've done or something you've said that doesn't align with what's happening currently. Mm-hmm. And so here you have people who have done stuff in the past, maybe it's 10 or 20 years ago, when it might have been culturally acceptable mm-hmm. to do something or say something, but now it's not. And so this person's been uncovered and uh, suddenly shamed on social media. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy would be a great example of that. He made some off-color comments or jokes 10 years ago or 12 years ago at this point because he was trying to be a shock comedian and then realized that was really ridiculous and apologized for him but left them on his Twitter account just to to say this is where I was and I'm sorry and I want to move forward. And then he offended somebody with a casting decision or something like that and uh those jokes got dug up, and it ended up with him getting cut out of his movie, uh, getting cut out of jobs for a while there, and then all because of something he'd done in the past that actually didn't relate to his career at all. And It's really interesting just how, how quickly we can not forgive people as a culture yeah. and cut people out and be so ungenerous yeah. with people changing even. Right? Absolutely, and it's interesting because, and I'm not saying we've never done this, but the accusation has been... Um, uh, it has been le- level against the church that the church is um, legalistic and shame-inducing, right? And so you hear people yeah. who who have left the church and have said that this is uh, this is what uh, this is what's happened to me in the church, and and uh, and yet, you know, we have the whole culture now who is bent on shaming those who don't agree with them. I mean, you see, even see people who have left the church and made that accusation against the church, and one of the things that they're doing on social media is is shaming other people and so you know the amount of shaming i think that goes on in our world is actually quite frightening it is isn't it yeah and it's not just one side shaming the other everybody's shaming each other you have the left shaming the right the right shaming the left right those in the center are shaming both and right it's not getting us forward at all is and it? so then you know in order to not become shamed um, you have to have an outward form of righteousness. And mm. I mean, that's the way it was with the Pharisees, right? You had to have an outward form of righteousness so that you, so, so that, so that you weren't ashamed, mm-hmm. so that you didn't live in shame, so that you, you would uh, bring honor to your name or to your parents' name. And so now we live in a very, I think, a very Pharisaic culture mm-hmm. where if you don't live up to the particular standards of morality or agree with the particular standards of morality, 
you're you're shamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like we're, we've moved into an honor shame society again. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's, it's actually quite fascinating. It is when you think about it. But I think that you know the Apostle Paul's experience is not all that unusual. Um, because I think regardless of whether you would call yourself religious or even if you call yourself irreligious, um, anyone who looks at their life and thinks that I have an advantage over someone else, whether it's the advantage of personal morality, uh, I'm a better person because of, or the advantage of knowledge, I'm more enlightened. I don't believe in myths. I believe in science. I'm a more Mm -hmm. enlightened person than you are. I I have an advantage over you Um, or their reputation. You know, I've got a reputation as being such and such a person or their heritage. Um, I think anyone who thinks that way has to, if they're going to follow Jesus, you have to back the dump truck (laughs) up into your life and divest yourself of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially, I mean, uh, why don't we we talk a bit now about about how do we divest ourselves or what do we potentially need to divest ourselves of, of these things. But let's talk about the religious heritage. And there's mm-hmm. something interesting about this where it can almost work out as not only do you have an advantage over other people, but you can have an advantage over God. Mm. That the way that your religious heritage plays out, that it almost works in um, this accounting procedure you talked about before of weighing the scales. And you can do enough good or do enough righteous acts that all of a sudden God owes you. Mm. And you can have that mindset, which, of course, is non-biblical, which, of course, doesn't fit in the grace economy of Jesus. But we see it. I mean, I see it in my own life. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things, uh, you didn't grow up in a, a Christian home. I grew up deep-seated in evangelicalism and yeah, the Christian sorry, Missionary man. Alliance. Oh, you know, I'm a good alliance boy. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, I'm joking, eh? Well, I know. Sort of. Sounds like the culture right there that exactly. you were talking about earlier. Yeah, Totally. But like one of the things I've had to divest myself of is this performance-based culture mm. where it's if you read and pray every day, you're okay. And so my acceptance of, by Jesus was based on my ability to, to be faithful to reading my Bible, to praying every day. And also another big piece was um, based on behavior, mm. that if I did the right things, especially as it related to purity and alcohol, mm. if, I, if I behaved well, then I was a good Christian boy. Right. But if I didn't, you know, if I ever got drunk, that was the unforgivable mm. sin. Mm. Uh, so much so that I'm still terrified of, of yeah. doing that today. And then we... That's we, good. It is. <laughs> it's, and you know... But for health reasons. Yeah, it's good for health reasons. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's good pieces to to my religious upbringing. Yeah. You know, our, we almost have this cancel culture idea with our past where the things that we don't like about it, we just throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. But mm. there's perks to to the behavior modification perspective yeah. where, you know, I, I have a, a hopefully a healthy liver now yeah. as a result. And I don't have, I didn't make a bunch of stupid drunken decisions. Mm. But then there's this part where I can judge others so easily mm. based on getting intoxicated or based on having too many yeah. drinks. And, uh, and I don't, that, doesn't sound like Jesus either. Mm. I mean, Jesus was known as a friend of drunkards. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just in terms of religious heritage, I remember, like, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. You can play that game, I guess. Yeah. No, I'm (laughs) actually glad I didn't, uh, in in a good way, in the Mm -hmm. sense that I think it it gave me a little bit of an understanding of how the you know, the person outside of the church thinks, and Definitely. you know that I have a, a real heart for people outside mm-hmm. in our community and, and wanting to make our, our church a place where people feel welcome. But for me, it felt I felt disadvantaged, particularly when I went to Bible college with these people who had grown up 
in the church and they had gone to Sunday school and knew all the Bible verses and knew the songs. I didn't know most of the hymns that we were singing and thankfully I didn't because well, you, I didn't need you to. knew you knew plot though, right? I knew I knew a couple of them, but but the point the point being is that we can count, you know, our religious heritage, our our upbringing, our um our our past with our families um as something, if we're not careful, as something to our advantage in a relationship yeah. with God. Uh, we even see that in churches where people are born into a certain family, mm-hmm. and um, you know there 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 are there are families you know even in, within a church who who would they think they have an advantage, mm-hmm. and I, I think that you know we have to we have to just watch that uh, and and just be careful with that because none of us has a you know, not, our religious heritage is now tied to Christ. We yeah. we all belong to God's family. We all we all are children of Abraham, so to speak, because of our relationship with Jesus. And like we've talked about the last number of weeks on the podcast, if we're going to follow in Jesus' example of Jesus' family, it's about emptying yourself of your rights, not about grabbing more. Absolutely. And, and so that makes yeah. sense. So what about also uh, even forms of church? Mm-hmm you know, based on our religious heritage, based on the way we, we've gone to church totally. and things that happened at church, we can think that the right way to do church and the right way to, to honor Jesus is by following a certain form and pattern. Yeah. I'm Catholic or I'm mm-hmm. Alliance or I'm Baptist. And, and now even when you think about, you know, during this COVID crisis, all of us have had to give up certain forms of church. And mm-hmm. for many people, their relationship with Christ has been tied to that form of church. And now that COVID has happened, uh, and lots of stuff was shifted online, and you know, some people have just been unwilling to make that shift because they're they've been so tied to a particular form. Now, I'm not saying that form is bad, and I'm not saying that we'll never go back to meeting again. We we certainly are. We we need mm-hmm. to. It's those are good things. But your relationship has to with Christ has to be beyond the forms. It has to be beyond the programs. Mm-hmm. Those things only serve the purpose of deepening our relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And if those things are no longer there for various reasons. We need to find other ways to do it. We can't be so tied to a form. We can't be so tied to a platform mm-hmm. that that our relationship with Christ suffers. I mean, the Apostle John was in exile for how long? I don't know how many years I it don't was. Know. But yeah, that's a good it was question. for a number of years, mm-hmm. and and yet he had some pretty significant revelations of Jesus when he yeah, was in exile, yeah. right? Without yeah. a worship service, mm-hmm. right? Well, he had a heavenly worship service, I guess, but but without without yeah. a, a corporate, but yeah, there was service. no corporate. Now, at the same time, I mean gathering with other Jesus followers, which of course doesn't need to happen on Sunday mornings and doesn't need to look like in a service setting is essential. I mean, the author of Hebrews talks about don't forsake meeting with one another, but instead uh, gather and push one another onwards to love and good deeds. We need other people. Absolutely. This apprenticing with Jesus is never a solo sport. This is always done in in the realm of community, right? Absolutely. And we believe in community, but uh, the point being that, mm-hmm. you know, if we tie our relationship with Christ to a particular form, then then we're in trouble. Exactly, right. But let's move on to knowledge. Okay. Um, so when we think about, no- I know we kind of, you know, explored a little bit beyond the boundary of what we, of religious heritage, but that's, it's that's all right. tied within the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then knowledge of the law, you know, um, in terms of uh, thinking in terms of theology and how, your, your theology can actually become a stumbling block or hindrance can, in pursuing yeah. Christ, right? Where you value knowledge above the pursuit of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, you know, knowledge puffs up. Learning knowledge um, of a subject just for the sake of learning knowledge of that, or having knowledge of that subject, um, is actually the wrong pursuit. The reason that we should want to pursue 
uh, knowledge and understanding is so that we can gain a deeper appreciation for Jesus so that we can relate to him in a way that we want to relate to him and should relate to him. And um, if it doesn't lead us toward that, if it leads us to to becoming proud, if our knowledge leads us toward divisiveness, if Mm -hmm. our knowledge leads us toward you know, winning debates mm-hmm. over a person who disagrees with us. If that's the only reason that we're, we're studying, then, then it's a wrong pursuit. Yeah, what's the point? It's then, a self-centered right? pursuit, yeah. right? Yeah, or if, you, if your allegiance to a, a camp of theology is greater than even your allegiance to Jesus, that you'd, you'd be willing to die for your views on predestination or free will or anything like that, and you you choose it over allegiance to Jesus. That's a that's a hard place to be in. Right. And I, and I yeah. Go ahead. Let's go. No, I was just thinking about this whole knowledge of the law. I think I've been spinning on that a little bit over the last number of days. Um, that Paul Paul would have had a very uh, legalistic. He would have had a deep knowledge of the law, but a very legalistic. Well, he's a Pharisee, of the law. right? So. And it didn't lead him to grace. No. Right. It, no, it didn't. It led him to legalism. It led him to stoning people, or at least standing exactly. inside while people are being stoned. Yeah. Yeah. So he talks about this outward righteousness, and that's what the law led him to, rather than mm-hmm. to, uh, and cultivating an inner devotion to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I think there's a place. You and I both have studied quite a bit. Yep. I would love to continue to study. It should be nice, wouldn't it? You know, I, I really enjoy the pursuit of study. I enjoy preparing for messages every week. But if my study only leads me toward preaching messages every week, if my study only leads me ever toward um, more knowledge for the sake of knowledge so that I can pass knowledge on to other people, then then I've missed the point, and I need to divest myself of that in order mm-hmm. to continue to pursue following Christ. Definitely. Something I, I came across this, this week uh, is a quote from The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. He writes, there have been some who were so occupied in spreading Christianity, they never gave a thought to Christ. Ouch. Right? That takes the wind out of your sails, yeah. right? And yeah. It's so easy to, to get stuck in either learning more or doing more to the point where you miss out on being with Jesus. And that's right. why even as we think about our apprenticeship um, definition, it begins with being with Jesus, not with doing things or not becoming like but it's all based on being with Jesus, and that's where real transformation comes about. It's not about behavioral modification. It's right. not about knowing more. So it's about being known more and yeah. knowing him more. Now, having said that, I know I'd, what I don't want our people to hear is that they shouldn't be studying, because I wish that oh, yeah. more people studied the Word of God, mm-hmm. more people were passionate about God's Word. Um, I think we have a, you know, we live in a biblically illiterate church mm-hmm. society most people in the church don't really know the scriptures i would love for our people to to study more and to go deeper in that i'm not suggesting that at all not but at if all. if your knowledge is not leading you toward faith in christ and deeper devotion to jesus and more and being more and more transformed into the likeness of christ which is to humble ourselves as servants um before other people mm-hmm. um if that if our knowledge is leading us to pride then it's mm-hmm. the wrong pursuit and we need to divest ourselves of that yeah, exactly. Like our understanding is there to, to bring us into greater faith. Mm, right? Absolutely. Yeah. How about reputation? So when we think about reputation, um, you know, reputation is about how, how you're perceived by others. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about having, you know, a carefully curated version yeah, I mean, like that's that's a social media me, and mm-hmm. so our culture is very much obsessed with curating yourself, and this, you're so much so that you basically become a brand as a human being, mm. 
that and your social media profile is all about brand management, which I mean ties back to cancel culture and making sure that you're not doing anything to be worth canceling. But it's also presenting yourself in such a way that that you look like the most idealized version of yourself. Whether yeah. that's that stuff like you know you you post an idea even though you haven't actually really lived it out or yeah. you thought about it or you you try something once and you're like oh this is perfect yeah. you know this is going to be how it is for me and you try it again afterwards and you realize all oh, that didn't fit yeah or it's you know posting that video that was really great of your kids slow motion being pushed pushed in a diaper box across the floor but mm. not posting the meltdown that happened a few right. minutes afterwards i'm not talking about anybody's house specifically or instagram right. profile specifically <laughs> maybe mine but yeah but we can we can curate ourselves in such a way to to bring the best reputation on ourselves, and I right. think this is a really dangerous trap to fall yeah. into. Well, you uh, you know that I read leadership stuff, and mm-hmm. uh, I'll listen to podcasts, and there are you know people who develop a leadership brand out there, um, and they're known to be great leaders. But then when you dig a little bit more, you realize that they're actually um, they're they're actually only consultants. They mm-hmm. they've never actually done anything. They've never led anything. They have. They have the reputation of being a great leader, but they've never, you know, they've never ever had boots on the ground, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? And uh, and so I think we can do that in terms of our faith as well, where we have a reputation for being a certain kind of person. Yeah, entirely. Like I read a lot more in the spiritual formation world, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting how easy it is to read something and go, oh, "That's a really good idea. I'm going to do that," mm-hmm. and not live it out, but 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 say, "Oh, this is something you can do." Right. And and you gain a reputation for for being really active and having a vibrant faith, but really, on the inside, nothing's changed. Right, right? and that's a really dangerous space to get yeah. yourself into. Somebody once said to me, "I would rather have a private prayer life than be known for my ability to pray in public." Hmm. Um, and so there's that danger of doing all of the spiritual things. You know, we can go to church, we can we can be known for being a particular kind of Christian, but not have the inner devotion to Christ. And that, that, that I think when you think of divesting yourself of reputation, it's not, you know, it's not making less of yourself. It's not trashing yourself. Yeah. Let's be very, let's be very clear on that. I mean, there's, especially in the Christianity that I was raised in, uh, divesting yourself of reputation or making God great meant that you made yourself small. Right, and it meant that you take shots at yourself, and you know someone would would compliment you on something. Oh, it's all Jesus; it's not me. And in the process, you you basically turn yourself into huh. dirt, or maybe less than dirt. Yeah, and that's not good. That's not that's not the way of Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, "Love God, love others like you'd love yourself." He, he wants us to love ourselves, and he wants us to see ourselves as he does, as dearly beloved, as his children, as the apple of his eye. And I never would want to hear my kids say that about themselves. And when that happens, I feel wrecked. And mm. So Jesus wouldn't want us to to push ourselves down. It's not about it's not about character or self character assassination in any way, right? Mm. So we should be clear when we, we talk about that. That's not what we're meaning. Which I know right. is not what you were saying. No, um, you know, beware. I think just of trying to build your reputation mm-hmm. to appear to be something really that you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. You know, there have been some high-profile leaders in the last couple of years who have been exposed. Um, They've had great ministries, and I'm not saying that they did all bad stuff. No. But they were known to be these spiritual giants and people, you know, in our culture. People love the heroes. They they Mm -hmm. love to put people up on a pedestal. And then, um, you know, a year, years later, it comes out that they were doing some pretty shady stuff. And um, 
I'm, I'm really cautious about building reputation over uh, inner devotion to Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if the temptation for us is to, to continue to build reputation, whether it's a reputation we have within our church community or build reputation on, on Instagram or what, however it is you're into reputation building, I would be very cautious about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather, rather build uh, an inner devotion to Christ. Yeah. yeah, Eugene Peterson talked about how he'd, he'd love to live in obscurity, that mm. that would be the sign of success. Right. Which, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll probably refer to Eugene Peterson a lot as we continue. But. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fans. We're fans. He didn't get that obscurity he's not, with us. He was and he's not, he's not perfect. No. No, not perfect. Close. Yeah. <laughs> but not. <laughs> but not. So let, the mm-hmm. last one, and I think we could close with this, is, is if, you, if we could, is the outward righteousness piece. Which um, I think we're already getting into that territory yeah. anyways, right? So out, outward righteousness is, is, again, maintaining outward appearance, outward works, good works, mm-hmm. in order to gain a right standing with God. That's what Paul is talking about there, yeah. the outward righteousness. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's significant um, in terms of having to back the drum, dump truck up into our lives because... All of us can be really good at, at developing those outward acts of righteousness without, again, cultivating an inner devotion mm-hmm. to Christ. Yeah, this is something Jesus had a lot to say about, whether that was referring to the Pharisees as these whitewashed tombs, saying you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of rotting corpses, or uh, whether it's talking about prayer and how they'd rather um, be seen praying in public places and or how they'd rather give and make a big scene of it. And he talked about, he actually coined the idea of hypocrisy we think um that the idea of being a hypocrite it was an ancient actor an actor was referred to as a hypocrite and jesus might have been the first one who who actually associated being an actor with the way that you portray yourself Mm. and that he's saying you know really when you're when you're putting on a show when you're when you're praying in public when you're giving to be seen you're really just acting right you're pretending to be something that you're not right and I think that's really easy territory to fall into. And, and here's why I think we can, this is where the gospel comes into play, mm-hmm. right? You know, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, mm-hmm. Jesus actually goes to the cross and takes our sin on him. The one who knows no sin takes our sin on himself so that, so that we could have right standing with God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're free from having to build an outward righteousness because Christ has given us his righteousness. Uh, which yeah. is better than any righteousness that we could ever come up exactly. with. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think we're absolutely free to just divest ourselves of all of those outward good works that we think is gaining us some kind of right standing. And uh, we hear that often because here's how we can hear, here's how we know that we are trying to build outward righteousness. I think one of the ways that we can know. Let's hear it. When we're in pain and we think, what did I do to deserve this? Hmm. Well, there's that where the we're in pain or someone else is in pain. But God, I did this. Right. Right? Yeah. Huh. So so it's, if it's we think cosmic ledger. If we think that yeah, if we think that we've done something to earn God's favor, um, then then we've been building an outward brand of righteousness, right? We've done something. Well, everything that we have from God doesn't it comes to us by grace through mm-hmm. through Christ, right? And so um I'm I'm not suggesting that we don't ever go to God or pray to God and but but it does from it. it does expose I think you know uh, that does expose our 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 outward righteousness or our attempts at outward righteousness and that's just a good moment you know a good moment to repent of that again and to say oh God forgive me 
um, would you pour your grace into my life once again? Great. Well, I think this seems, seems like a good place to wrap up. But as we do uh, each week, we try to, to equip you with a tool for your toolbox, a way that you can continue to step deeper into being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus does. And so uh, this week, uh, the recommendation is to take some time and, and evaluate your life and evaluate, maybe use these four, que- four spaces of religious heritage, of uh, knowledge, of, of reputation, and of outward legalism. And then just ask, what do I need to divest from my life? What do I need to remove that I'm holding on too tightly to, that I'm, I'm living out in such a way that God owes me or that I'm puffing myself up over other people? And then just confess those things and, and ask Jesus to, to heal you from that and to give you grace where there wasn't grace before. And even to demonstrate where his grace is enough for you. And so... So thanks for joining us this week. Uh, just like we talked about last week, uh, we'd love to answer questions that you have. Maybe something's come up in one of our sermons uh, and you want to know a bit more about it or maybe something's triggered uh, in your mind as you've been listening to this. And uh, we'd love to hear your questions and, and talk about those questions. And then as well, if you could subscribe to this, it just helps us to know if, if uh, people are joining us on this journey and uh, recommend to your friends uh, who are a part of our community about how to keep growing. So. Thanks for joining us this week on the Apprenticeship Toolbox. Have a great week. Grace and peace. Peace.